0: Welcome back to the Empathy Podcast. My name's Leanne Butterworth. Today, we're talking to Nick Schuring about all things empathy, mental health, and entrepreneurship. This is the beginning of part two.
1: So where does identity play into that then? Mm, Because to me, a lot of founders sort of go, this is who I am. My yep. business is who I am. I like putting, I don't know, founder on a business card. I like being in that world. I like being in that ecosystem, let's say. But when things go wrong, that their identity goes with it, and how they define themselves and their elevator pitch. So where does identity then play into what it is that you're saying about having a clear vision as to what impact you want to have in the world. And then looking at the mechanisms to achieve that.
2: I love that question. And I had no idea what my personal identity was until after I didn't have it anymore, which was my business. Up until that point, I was the face of the company really. And so, and when that was gone, I suddenly went, Oh shit. Who's not sharing. What what do I stand for? I, am I am I Mr. Coworking? Not really. Never was really co-working. Coworking was never really my buzz. And I think I think, you know, your question's really, really good. And what I've realized is actually as a founder, there's two parts. There's the brand and the identity and the story of the business. And then there's the brand and the identity and the story of the founder. And those two things are complementary, but not mutually exclusive. And at some point they will go in different directions. Because ultimately, once you settle on the fact that you have a vision and a purpose for yourself, then that business becomes a mechanism to that point. Perfect example of this is Elon Musk. Like He was 10 years old when he started to create his vision for people being on Mars, people exploring space. Yeah. That was his vision from that point. And every business that he's had has been a mechanism to get to that point. So it's all been about the vision and each stepping stone along that way. So his identity and his brand superseded all of those startups that he was. I mean, he's not Mr. Tesla and in a way he's not even SpaceX. He is the amalgamation of these different notions and ideas on this unified vision to human beings exploring space. Yeah, And that's this, this kind of lofty um, vision well beyond that. And so yeah, I mean, I'm in Australia because I basically was unemployable in New Zealand, yeah. you know, because my brand was so intrinsically linked with Biz Dojo that I I couldn't get a job. No one would touch me. And so had I probably sat down and thought a little bit more about where the identity and brand of the dojo was and where the identity and brand of Nick Shearing was, and those two things were complementary but different sooner I probably would have been in a slightly different place. I may not have necessarily moved over here, but everything happens the way it's meant to play out. And, you know, I'm happier than I've ever been. So, yeah, I think those two things when it comes to personal identity and brand are really important. And often I've met lots of founders who want to be in the background. So you've got a founder who doesn't want to be an identity. They want their business to do the talking for them. And you go, no, that's not what someone invests in. They invest in you. They invest in you, Bill Smith. They need to believe in you, Janet Wilson. You know, they, an investor and a customer needs to know who you are and your identity. I mean, you know, how many of us know Steve Jobs? I mean, we, we know Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or, or, or Ian Musk. You know, we, we buy based on their identity and their brand, not just the identity and brand of the vehicle or the, or the concept that they are selling.
1: And I think as well, like one of the questions that I had written down in the entrepreneurial journey is when do you call it quits and go, okay, it didn't work. And I think what you've just said feeds in beautifully to that of go, it's okay to say that. It's okay to go, you know what? I still have a belief. I still have a vision. I still want to create impact. It's just that's not the vehicle to do it. Not I wasn't good enough to make that a success, but that's not the vehicle. It wasn't the right time or – but that's not – a personal failure it's a learning experience and it's an opportunity to to look at where your energy is better placed there's no shame in that and i think one of the most painful questions and misguided questions people can ask especially in the entrepreneurial journey is what will people think so i think that's such a, a a loaded toxic painful question of oh if i change my brand if i stop doing this startup if i get a muggle job what will people think? So, what's your take on that question?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, well, I've had that. I've, I've actually had, I've had people go, Oh, you sell out. I'm like, No, no. I, I, I said, once you get to a certain point with your business and you have investors and you do Series A and you've got a board and you've got all that stuff, mate, be under no illusions. You're an employee. <laughs> you're working for, you know, you might have founder and CEO written by your name but you respond, you've got a whole bunch of people that you actually report to. So, you know, there is no responsibilities. Absolutely. So I I think, I think it's all about, um, yeah, I think it's all about that learning, taking a learning approach and having that clear vision of where you need to go. I mean, I love entrepreneurism. I love it. I love it pushes the envelope. It's the people that kind of challenge the status quo. They go, you know what i'm sick of people saying oh, i can't do this i'm just going to do it and they push for it and i think one of the interesting things that um i often talk to people about her building businesses is it's not a linear path right you've got your horizon point you know uh five million dollar turnover business boom that might be what you want to aim for you know within three years and you kind of work back from that and then i always describe it to people it's a bit like yachting and i'm not a yachter but i can or sailor, a sorry, <laughs> but a, a, a yachtsman. A yacht- but I, but it's it's tacking. It's like using yeah, yeah. it's it, it's tacking. So the thing that always stood out to me when I went out on a on a yacht once was that you're trying to see the wind shift. You're trying to look at the little gestures on the water, the little movements, and you're trying to interpret it. And then you're pivoting and you're tracking backwards and forwards all that way trying to get to that end destination right keep the wind in your sales and business is exactly like that it's keeping the wind in your sales now the tacking and you know what happens when you don't do it is when you go past the point where you should have pivoted you go past a point where you're no longer getting momentum sales and revenues dropping off you're sitting there going what the fuck?" and uh oh you know that's happened the business just stalls and loses momentum and that was the point where before that like you know, 20, 30% back, you were supposed to have tacked left or right or yeah, whatever it gotcha. was. And so for me, you know, where I think a lot of people start to go wrong is it's really around going, how do I listen to that customer? How do I listen to the insights they're telling me? How do I listen to the stuff they're not saying? Because that's the magic. You know, it's kind of like looking for the information between the lines.
1: And not taking but, it personally as well.
2: Oh, totally. And, and look, and I think back to your original kind of question on this was, you know, I I... I really do feel at times that, and Tony Robbins says this, right? People overestimate what they can do in one year and totally underestimate what they can achieve in 10. And until I started kind of my icky guy journey, which is the rest of my whole life, you know, so I'm 41 years old, I've achieved some things to 41. Now, what am I going to achieve for the next 40 years, hopefully? You know, up until that point, I ran my entire life in three-month build cycles, I never really thought further than three months out, because I couldn't. I just couldn't. I just had no mental capacity for it. It was just like sprint. Three months. I don't know what's going to happen in a year. I don't. I can't see that. So I'm just going to worry about what happens in the next ninety days. And and the crazy thing, if you let yourself live in that tactical mode for too long, is you 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 get panicked and you you hold on to decisions way longer than you should because you're not looking at this long path. You're not looking at this thing and going, just cut it, man. Just if it's not working, if you've stalled, just cut it. What's the change? You're just burning out out of what? Ego, fear, people judging you. Who gives a shit? It doesn't really matter if the thing falls over. So cut your loss when you can and actually try and get better at making decisions before you need to cut it. Don't push past this point. And I think often for us, and whether you're a female or a male founder, sometimes it can actually be way harder for a female founder to cut that as well. Because, you know, um, some of the female founders that I work with, you know, they've got so much pressure from their peer group of other female founders. Like, you know, hey, you look, you know you're representing for all of us and you better not really fail, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah. load that pressure on, you know, and fuck, all the guys are wanting to see you fall over. Well, none of us actually, none of us want to see anyone fall over. I don't really think. Um, And so there's all this pressure, this like external pressure. And it's like, at the end of the day, get back to basics. Understand your customer, what makes them happy, what makes them tick, what makes them love you. Like do whatever makes them obsessively love you and continue to love you. Just keep giving them value. That's it. And keep repeating that process. And as long as you keep doing that, and as long as you start to have a vision of where you could be in the future for that, then that's it. I think one of the other things as well and this is a bit of a, a contentious one to say, stop trying to be so fucking ultra as a founder that your business is like, you know, it's the most incredible environment. We're, we're so concerned about this and that, and we've got ping pong tables and blah, 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 blah. It's just all noise to try and, like, make you seem like the best business for people to work for. None of that, like, I have seen businesses that have gone above and beyond to try and be cool And then they've made heaps of people redundant because they have no money to pay anyone because they've been spending so much money and being cool. Yeah. Okay. Just get back to the basics. Focus on delivering incredible experiences to your customers. Being really, really in tune with them. Be a good, humble boss.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That empathetic leadership piece. Don't be a dick.
2: Listen to your people. Listen to your clients, and just make simple, (laughs) simple, effective decisions. And and try not to be too much to everyone. I think that's. I think, you know, earlier on in the piece for me and my founder's journey, man, we try to be everything to everyone. You can't, you know, just just be really good at who you are and have your vision for where you want to go and just keep focused on that. And, you know, I, I mean, again, I use Elon Musk as a, as a great example of a visionary entrepreneur. You know, it's not like he's out there, you know, he's trying to save humanity, but at the same time, he's not out there weighing in on, X, Y, Z, and everything else. He's like, no, look, you guys, you guys get that covered. I'm just going to get us in space and save humanity that way. That's my plan. Yeah. I'll have some other planets for us to hang out once we destroy this one. And then I look at Bill Gates and the massive momentum that that dude's taking on clean sanitation, drinking water. I mean, he's malaria. like pumping yeah. billions of dollars and fighting malaria. And, the, you know, like he's not trying to be everything to everyone. He's just going, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it really well.
1: So then if we come back to your sailing analogy, how important is your
2: crew? Exceptionally important. Um, you know, in your first few years of a business, when you've got your first maybe 10 staff, they're what I call believers, not employees. Like you might pay them, they're employed, but they believe in you. They believe in you and they believe in the idea. And they believe in it so wholeheartedly that they become almost like micro-founders themselves, mini-founders, because it's they just, they freaking just love it and they're excited by it. There is an interesting point that happens usually three, four years in with a certain scale. It's usually go from your first 10 to your first 50 staff. Once you get to that point, the believers start to move on because now they don't have that same level of intimacy and connection to the founders. They start to feel a little disenfranchised. The thing starts to feel more like a business and less like a little team. So there is a kind of a tipping point there and that happens a lot with businesses. But, you know, those, those first, that first cohort, that first group of people, they're your believers. They're the ones that, uh, you know, both your um, cheerleaders and best advocates and they're saying, this is going to be awesome. You also have to listen to people that say, this is going to be shit because like I welcome, I mean, and this is something that you have to teach yourself to do as well. Actually look at the people that are saying this won't work really drill into why, you know, cause like you may or may not, like like what they're saying but it's actually if someone's taking the time to actually distill down why they think your thing won't work there is actually information in that it's nuggets of information in that they're they're running it through that you don't need to necessarily accept it but work it through and i always welcome criticism like you've you've got to take it if you if you you know if the moment someone throws a stone at you, you go hey that's it let's go Son, so I might step you out. How dare you criticize my business? It's like, man, you're going to fail miserably. Because or the can't. other
1: way. If you are criticized and you go, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this or maybe I'm not good enough. Yes, or, it's a
2: balancing act. Yeah. Absolutely. So you've and you've got, got to, you got to between,
1: follow, bring follow it your on intuition. And going home, go, oh, they don't like
2: me. So I'm this is so the key anymore. differentiator for me. I weigh, the people who pay money have a higher level of influence than anyone else and the, and and when it comes to a mentorship and advice and and that crew like i wouldn't go out and do around the world sailing yacht race without people who are experienced Yep. and not just people who did it like and this is the interesting thing surround yourself with people who've fucking disastered it the people who've lost the ship people who've sunk people who've and you know through weather events and other things have lost lost crew members or whatever like surround yourself with mentors and advisors who actually have gone through the hard yakka because that's, the, that's where they learn. If you're surrounding yourself with a bunch of people, oh, mate, it was easy. No, it was good. I just, Series B, raised $15 million. <laughs> easy, yeah. easy, mate. This is
1: what you should just do.
2: You know, I, I sat there with a founder once who was, who was comparing himself to another founder. He was like, man, I just want to so be like this dude. And it's like, okay, so let's look at it apples for apples. This guy's whole family are serial entrepreneurs and founders. His family's net worth is probably 50 to $80 million. His seed capital he had is more than most businesses will have to operate for three or four years. So you're comparing yourself to someone who had such a huge fucking jump ahead of you. And you're like, you just can't do it. You, You like, you know, find the person who like, Blood, sweat, and tears lost the first two businesses. Now ask them, what would you do differently? That, what did you learn out of losing that business? Oh, God, I learned this, this, and this. Man, this is how I ended up in the media because I, fuck, I didn't think. That's the people you want to learn from. Not the one who's telling you it's easy, it's great, no, nah, it's nothing, no big thing. You learn from the ones that have actually really clustered it. That would be my thing. And because, you know, and, and again, in the entrepreneurial scene at the moment, it's a bit theatrical. You know, there's a lot of people who are very excited about it and very into it, but have never actually really done it. And certainly they've never lost anything really dramatically. And I think, you know, be careful with your advice that you get given by people who, um, you wouldn't go to a doctor who basically learnt their doctoring from watching YouTube. Would you? But when it comes to advice from as founders, we like every mentor out there goes, Hey, uh, I reckon I know how to do a term sheet. I've uh, watched a couple of YouTube videos. I think I've got this down. Here you go. (laughs) It's like, buddy, of course you wouldn't do it. You would never go to a doctor or a lawyer or you would never go to any of these people who actually don't do the doing. And ask them for their opinion, and yet we we do that a little bit as founders, and I think we need to be careful about that. To so your comment before about, you know, um, don't worry too much about the advice from your family members and your 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 auntie. She might think you're great. Yep. You know, look for people who have made money in the field that you're in. Pick their brains. Look for people who are paying customers. Yep. If someone's prepared to give you money, but you you need to understand why.
1: <laughs> And I think it's also finding that balance and in that if you, if you feel like you can't trust anybody or you can't afford anybody, it's falling into that trap of trying to be everything for everybody and doing everything. And I think there has to come that level of um, acceptance that you're allowed to ask people, you're allowed to ask for help, you're allowed to ask for stories, you're allowed to ask potential customers, you're allowed to seek assistance, you're allowed to admit that you don't know everything and everything you do try seems to be it opens up this rabbit hole of going, Okay, if I want to try this, you can't expect to know everything about it right from the get go. Of course. But it's looking for opportunities to learn off other people and go okay, I need help. I can't be everything to everybody. There are only so many hours in the week. This is what I can and can't do. This is what I will and won't do. Yeah. Uh, but it's not worth driving yourself into the ground in order to achieve something when at the end of the day you're not answering those questions that you said before, which is, what yeah. do I want to earn and how do I really make the customers who love us love us? How do I do more of that?
2: For me, if you're starting out and you haven't got much money and you don't have many people around you, um, it can feel really daunting and it can feel very overwhelming. And I think that, you know, the first startup mode, you know, pre. Pre-revenue is really challenging. I try to, in all fairness, I try to focus on scale-ups rather than startups because that part is so embryonic and so, you know, it's tough. It's, it's a really tough space. And so, but once you've got a business to a point where it's actually starting to build revenue and it's starting to, you've got a few staff going, you can actually then start to really get some momentum because you've got kind of across that first hump, which is like those first few transactions and that first bit of money. And so that's why I focus a lot on my energy on working with scale-ups versus startups. Nothing against startups. There's lots of people out there trying to help startups, but I, I think scale-ups or stay-ups or whatever you want to call them, it's that business that's you know about a million plus in revenue. That's where they can start to get a step change. And that's often too where the real pressure starts to come on for that founder because that's where you're starting to get bigger customers on board. You're starting to get other investors and you're starting to get staff that expect to get paid every fortnight you know, and that's where the pressure cooker comes on, you know, and I think I think that's where, um, that's where people need the most help, to be honest. Um, that's
1: where people tend to come out of the woodwork a lot more as well. Yeah. Like, and start coming out go, oh, I'm interested in you now. Like, yeah. investors go, well, we're not gonna to talk to you until you hit this, so when you do hit this, you've got um, media attention, or you've got investor attention, or you've got, so all these people coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, you should just do this, and you should listen to me, and you should, and, so I think there's a lot more voices in that space, and a lot more noise in that space than when you're by yourself at the kitchen table trying to create your first and, whatever it is.
2: And again, follow your intuition and in your, in your gut. And your intuition and your gut's honed through conversations with your customers. You know, you have your own inherent idea. You know, you, you, you'll go, oh, I know that there's something there. If I can create the value for that customer, I know they'll keep coming back. Yeah. Keep like keep owning that. like I think where CEOs start to go Get unstuck as they start to talk to their customers less mm. like You know and and it was interesting because I'm you know, I'm sort of in a, a Founder with inside a corporate and I can tell decisions of the organization that are made without consultation with customers You can tell you can see it. You can see decisions that are made that are weighted around the businesses decisions versus their actual customers' decisions. Because they don't make sense to a customer. And if they did, they wouldn't make them. So, you know, and so I think, you know, one of the riskiest things you can do as a business owner is, is, and I know it sounds like, just keep talking to your customers. Like, if your business is a three, four million dollar turnover business and you want to reduce your stress level as a founder, have at least a day a week where you're just talking to customers. Just talking to the people that pay you money. Doesn't matter that you've got a whole bunch of managers and people in between you and that person. Fuck that. Just talk directly to them. Hey, I just want to get in your head. Like it's, you know, CEO to CEO or whoever it is or CEO to whoever the customer is. I just really want to understand what makes you tick and just keep doing that because that keeps your hand, your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And I think we create a lot of drama and stress for ourselves as business owners that manifest in really bad, poor, poor decision making because we just don't have a close enough relationship with the actual people who pay us yeah.
1: and it's it's going right back to basics and going okay the thing that is important is relationships relationship with customers clients colleagues um Absolutely. investors because that's a long-term relationship but it's looking at those relationships as human to human not um as a commodity
2: so one of the meets that i did I, I was kind of oh you're a bit of a sellout now yeah working for a big corporate sell out i was like no i don't think so i said um it's like working for my lead investor and my lead investor cares about me as a human being not just a means to an end i said that's a that's a difference i said you know like we i raise money inside the business we pitch we create pitches we pitch like we all the same things and we pitch to an investment board we pitch those things and we go out and we run a business and we come back and we share those learnings and we get more money and we you know it's exactly the same um, yes, I get a salary, you know, and I'm in, and actually, when I went through all of my hardship, what I realized is actually I needed consistency. I needed some consistent income. When you get to 40 and you've lost your entire, <laughs> everything you've worked on in your whole life and you're starting back at zero again or starting negative, some substantial zeros, you know, uh, consistent income is actually pretty important. And, and so, you know, for me, that was, that was, you know, that was, I didn't, I saw no shame in that. You know, like, I can do my best work if I don't need to worry about how I'm going to pay the ring next week. And that was a pressure that was always there for me when I was a founder.
1: Do you think there's going to be more of a shift towards businesses taking on entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial mindset and people to get in there and challenge and disrupt their business? Do you think that happens enough yet?
2: I think that you are going to see an entire new wave of people like me as founders that have been pulled into larger businesses to help them change. It's not easy. I spend a lot of my day swearing and, and I, I do, and I have a good support system inside the organization who ring me up and say, I could hear on the phone call in that last meeting, you were threatening to kill people. I think that we just need to give you 20 minutes to just decompress. (laughs) No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't threaten that, but it's, and I think this is part of why that healthy tension's there, right? because you've got these big organizations that are that are really trying to change you know they and it's not because they feel like that's good for brand they fucking have to change they know they have to change yep. because there's a tidal wave of nimble little SaaS products that are catching up quick who overnight go from a unknown um uh you know um, end-of-year bookmaking uh, application to a $200 billion or $3 billion juggernaut mm. Canva. I mean Canva in the space of 10 years from oh. help, helping you do your um helping you do your end of year school book for a school to now every single person it's like it's it's in design for everyone. Yeah. You know, so again, you know, big big corporate organizations are realizing they need to change and what they need to change is I need people who have actually gone out there and lost it all and tried to build it and do that. So I think there's going to be a whole bunch of people like me joining these organizations. And I, I seriously do say it is like working directly with my lead investor who actually gives a shit about me as a person because I'm the, I'm the asset. I'm the, I'm the human capital in there. And that's, that's the interesting shift, I think. And I think, um, again, if I think about this with the scale up that the startup that I'm working on inside this organization, the amount of time and money and energy it would have taken for me to be able to touch 35 million people's lives. How much money would have that taken if I'd tried to do that from the start? That would have taken a lot of time. It could have taken me 10 years, and I could have not even got there. And first 10 weeks. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I'm I'm really excited by this um, breaking down of the barriers between it. And I think what I didn't say there was I uh, I was super overweight. Mm. I was super unhealthy. Yeah. I'm the healthiest, fittest I've been probably in 20 years. Yeah. I've lost, since I moved over here, I've lost 17 and a half kgs. Yeah. I go to the gym every day. I do six k walk every day, and my mental health is infinitely better. I'm yeah. I'm not on medication
1: because they're so linked, and I think that's one of the things probably we didn't cover today is yeah. that the importance of getting out, taking care of your physical health. Like it's it's more than just going. Oh, I do yoga, or, or I compartmentalize. No, it's that it's taking that holistic approach because your business will benefit. If you are physically healthy and mentally healthy, because like we talked about with the identity and stuff, it's not who you are. Your physical no. health, your mental health, your holistic being is who you are. That's part of what you do.
2: Uh, look, I, absolutely. And I, and I think that's where, you know, I never drink enough water. I drink six cups of coffee a day. All these things seem small, but like they added massively to, because I, I, um, I have an anxiety disorder and, and depression. Okay. And, so, and so, you know, like six cups of coffee, man, I, I was running at a pretty high ping, pinging rate of anxiety all the time.
0: Yeah.
2: And then I was, you know, carrying a lot of weight and I wasn't working out and, you know, it was, it's just simple shit. And I think this is the funny thing as well is that we're often told we should work, you know, we feel like we should be working seven days a week.
1: Yeah.
2: One of the best pieces of advice I had from a psychologist was um, limit yourself to 35 hours. Yeah. It doesn't have to be Monday to Friday, but just 35 hours Yeah. and give yourself an entire day for just processing and thinking. Very just, nice. you know, just, just thinking time. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, just, think just you know don't be off the tools and if you can do it do that on a Friday and I started doing that on a Friday and that's what became my my uh, insight and check-in time so I would just you know either go and have meetings and not not meetings to do things just like conversation meetings with people and human to human yeah and and like man productivity went up sales went up my insights into where we were going wrong as a business went up you know like all of those kind of things i still do that with this one yeah there's some stuff there that we right. think you have to push 60 hours to be successful you don't actually but it's,
1: and i think to relate to your your previous point about the 35 hours and the physical health and the mental health it's it's giving yourself permission that you're allowed to invest in yourself as much as you invest in this idea or this startup or this business or this impact for other people you are allowed to invest that in yourself as well through your physical health and your mental health and your space giving yourself permission to have and your oh absolutely because i think i mean god we could probably talk about for a whole another hour about the impact of entrepreneurship on our loved ones Um,
2: we actually did some stuff for dojo which was a support system for the partners and uh, primary support system for founders because actually what we found is we started to create all of these support systems for founders around their mental health and their well-being but they found that their partners had nothing and so they were at home going hey um the cards just declined to buy groceries Uh, um I don't want to lay any pressure on you that like you know i'm, I'm you know i don't want to be adding because i know you're stressed but yeah. like
1: do you know if we're gonna be able to
2: eat because yeah. i've got kids to feed yeah. and so we, we we actually and it was unfortunate that the business sold but we were about to start doing a um food support system for oh, families no. yeah. um and i was trying to do that with um uh with an organization called eat my lunch we'll talk about that again another time
1: well, Nick I've this conversation so very much and as always I've got pages and pages of notes um, thank you so much so are you still wizarding you, like can people still find you are you doing things outside of the muggle world
2: um, I've turned my energy more to advocacy and support so yeah. I work with startup on ramp uh, which is a uh, awesome program for helping pre-revenue startups to kind of work through those basic nuances so startup on ramp i'm working with them as their eir yeah i'm still really excited to do that yeah, anyone obviously can hit me on uh linkedin or, or twitter or any of those things uh nick sharing my handle for everything
1: cool well i'll put links down the bottom thank you so cool. much
2: for, for chatting hopefully, me today. <laughs> hopefully oh, i lovely. covered interesting topics we wanted covered to cover. a
1: lot today <laughs> so,
2: I was fucking all over the place there so I'm so sorry that, about that oh
1: no that's all good they're the best conversation
0: thank you so much Nick that was a fantastic discussion I really learned a lot and I know that my perspective has changed a little bit as well because it always comes back to what is the impact you want to achieve what's the change you want to see in the world and what is the best way you can achieve that at scale and that might be working for a large company as an entrepreneur. it might be collaborating with other startups and other entrepreneurs but ultimately it's about making the best change that you want to make in the world while still protecting what it is that's really important and ultimately that's your mental health and that of your family. So thank you so much, Nick. I absolutely learned a lot. And if you would like to learn more about empathy training, you can go to empathyfirst.com.au. We'll see you next time.